We'd like to welcome you back to part two of our current event and weekly Bible study for September 4th, 2011. And I guess this is going to just be a dedicated study regarding the whole subject of um, the fallen angels, um, the sons of God of Genesis 6, of where the sons of Seth, daughters of Cain theory came from, and that particular subject. So, again, continuing with our look at Augustine of Hippo, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, and where this theory of the um, sons of Seth, daughters of Cain, came from, we were, we were quoting from, um, actually, Thomas Aquinas' um, magnus opus, where he quotes from uh, Augustine of Hippo's work, The City of God. And, again, let me just kind of start over. Many persons affirm that they have had the experience or have had or have heard from such as have experienced it that satyrs and fawns, with whom common folk call incubi, have often presented themselves before women and have sought and procured intercourse with them. Hence, it is folly to deny it. They were saying there's no way we can deny it. It does happen. <clears throat> but, holy angels could not fall in such a fashion before the deluge, meaning the flood. Again, wow. Uh, why? Because you say so? Augustine of Hippo? Because you say so? Where the Bible clearly indicates they did fall? But because you, in your infinite Catholic re- wisdom, say that it can't happen, it must be so. Oh, wow. Talk about playing God. Talk about, yea, hath God said which is what we get in the first lie that's ever talked about in the Bible, in Genesis 3, where Satan went to Eve and said, Yea, hath God said. In other words, God didn't really say that. He said this. Well, if you want to trust Satan, yeah, I guess, you know, that's your option. That's your prerogative. So, again, quoting from this, But God's holy angels could not fall in such a fashion before the deluge. Hence, by sons of God are to be understood to be the sons of Seth. Wow! I'm so glad that he straightened me out finally. Who were good? An even further leap of logic. I love this. So, finally, hence the sons of God are to be understood as as the sons of Seth. Who were good? While the daughters of men that that the scripture designates who sprang from the race of Cain Wow, I'm so glad this dude was here to enlighten me. This Catholic demon-possessed guy. I finally found the truth. Then he goes on to say, Nor is it to be wondered that the giants should be born of them, for they were not all giants. I don't know if I've ever heard a more arrogant, unbiblical statement in my life. Here's my comment. I guess Augustine rented a time machine, and traveled back in time to witness the sons of God of Genesis 6, were not actually angels at all, but the good sons of Seth. He also had a first-hand, he also must have been a first-hand witness to the fact that women they took as wives were the wicked daughters of Cain, even though there's no place in scripture that indicates they were the wicked daughters of Cain, or that the sons of God were the, were the godly men of Seth. He must have also witnessed all the births that took place between these sons of Seth and daughters of Cain 
actually imaginary sons of Seth and imaginary daughters of Cain, to know some were giants and some were not. Why do I say that? Because in the last thing he says, um, nor is it to be wondered at the giants should be born of them, for they were not all giants. Wow, I mean, this August, he must have had a really souped up time machine. I mean, he went pre-flood. Only eight people came out of that alive. But he knows exactly what happened pre-flood. You talk about arrogance. Unbiblical, unbridled arrogance is what we're looking at here. Now, I've given you all the facts in the previous teaching. Now, so what I'm doing now is looking at where did we get these totally unbiblical heresies? Where did they spawn from? Here's where it is, right here. I mean, his explanation sounds reasonable to me. What what about you guys? I mean, it sounds reasonable. Just because Augustine said it, we should believe it. Even though there's no scriptural basis in fact. And, you know, it's just unbelievable. The wicked daughters of Cain and the godly men of Seth, if they were so godly, why in the world did they procreate with the wicked daughters of Cain? And even if they were wicked, even if the, the daughters of Cain were wicked and the sons of Seth were godly, why would they have procured giants? It's all dreamt up. It's all lies. It's demonically inspired lies. Because Satan does not want the church knowing this information and putting two and two together, particularly regarding the day and times we're living in. He wants people to be totally ignorant of this. And this is one of the main places it started. And then he goes on to say, let me read the last statement again. Nor is it to be wondered at the giants should be born of them, for they were not all giants. I'll bet there were many more before than after the deluge. And again, my comment, again, how in the world would he know? Oh, I know. It's by his superior demon-led Catholic theologian intellect. How would he know if there was more giants before the deluge than after? How would he know that? Well, because he's a Catholic theologian. That's all we need to know. He's Augustine of Hippo. How dare you question him, you you mere mortal. I know. I mean, who, what am I thinking? Who am I to question this Catholic theologian? Even though it's obviously all garbage that he's spewing. And you got people that follow this guy and recommend him to me? Calvinists that follow him? Are you kidding me? You better stop trusting in man. Let's go further. Just as Augustine fallaciously suggested the sons of God were the so-called godly line of Seth, the daughters of men have been labeled as being the ungodly line of Cain. What a leap of logic! Augustine says... By the daughters of men, the scripture designates, now this is a quote, Augustine says, By the daughters of men, the scripture designates those who sprang from the race of Cain. That is such an asinine statement, I don't even know where to begin. Where does the scripture designate that, Augustine? Where? It just says the daughters of men. It doesn't say they're the wicked, godly, or wicked, godless line of Cain. 
Talk about adding to the Word of God. Where does the Bible warn about? Well, let's look at the last verse, or I think it's the second to last verse of the Bible, where it talks about taking away. He's taking away, too. He's not only adding to, but he's taking away from the Word of God. He's taking away the obvious interpretation of the sons of God, which we went over in the first part. The totally painfully obvious. We have five scriptures in, 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 in the Old Testament and two separate scriptures in the New Testament that confirm that these are fallen angels and where they are and what they did. And they went after strange flesh. We've got all these confirmations, but no, 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 no. That, we don't believe any of that. We only believe Augustine because we trust in a man, right? Well, what does the Bible say about those that give and take away from the word of God? And this is another reason I'm, I'm so incredibly reluctant to, to use other Bible versions, like the NIV, like I said, that has 64,000 less words, over 64,000 less words than the KJV, which is almost 10% of the total text, almost like a tithe, like, like a 10% tithe. We're, we're, were those wonderful translators tithing those words to God, taking them out, proclaiming themselves to be God, yea, hath God said? Or were they tied in the words to Satan? I don't know. Well, Revelation 22, verse 18 says, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, and out of the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. Here's some other verses you can look at about adding to or taking away from the word of God. Deuteronomy 4.2, Proverbs 36, Exodus 32.32, 32, Psalm 69 verse 28, Daniel 12.1, Revelation 3.5, Luke 10.20, Revelation 13.8, and Revelation 17.8. Not something I want to mess around with. You could have convinced me Augustine's not burning in hell right now. Why do I want to take the advice of a man, of a Catholic theologian, who has been, for hundreds and hundreds of years, because people have followed him, I'm sure, and followed his dogma, and followed his religious beliefs, are in hell, because they followed Augustine. Why do I want to follow somebody that's in hell, right now, burning, and will be cast into the lake of fire, and then has taken a whole bunch of other people there? Who knows? Thousands and thousands. Maybe millions. I don't know. Why would I want to follow them? I don't. So let's go back to this article. Again, another wonderful uh, Augustinian huge leap of logic where he says, By the daughters of men, the scripture designates those who sprang from the race of Cain. End of quote. (laughs) My word. I mean, that is so asinine. What a statement. And all the references are here to these quotes, just so you know. They're in this PDF. We must ask the important question then. Where in Scripture does it say such a thing? Augustine makes the claim above that Scripture designates those daughters are coming from the race of Cain. But where just do we see that? The answer is, we simply do not see it anywhere. It was first tentatively considered by Julius Africanus, and then completely invented by Augustine. So, in other words, some guy had a thought or a notion about this, Julius Africanus, and then 
completely then was invented by Augustine, and then repeated by all those who would follow in his footsteps ever since. If the term sons of God simply refers to the sons of Seth, as so many suggest, then why does the text not simply state it? The word of God is of no private interpretation. The Bible says that. The word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's not this foggy, nebulous thing that is impossible to interpret. I, I, I admit some things are, are, the Bible says we see through a glass but darkly, but then face to face. I understand some things in scripture are hard to understand, but this is not one of them. I mean, this is just a lie. Being, they're just taking scripture and twisting it into a lie. So let's go further here. Unfortunately, neither Augustine nor Aquinas substantiates their claim. They just state it and and expect their little minion followers just to believe it because they state it, because of their superior Catholic intellect. Well, my comment here is they don't have to. They, They don't have to substantiate their claim. Why? Because they're super smart Catholic theologians and should not be questioned as such. End of story. Now, wasn't that an asinine statement I just made? But isn't that what people that follow Augustine or St. Thomas Aquinas do? They just, well, they're super smart Catholic theologians and they're, they're fathers of the, of the church and, and they shouldn't be questioned ever because they're superior intellect. I'll tell you, the, the more I read this type of stuff, the more I, I can do nothing but question They simply presume their statement to be true with no other biblical proof. It's like Proverbs 14, 12 and 16, 25. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. I guess at the time, maybe it seemed right to them because it couldn't be holy angels fell. Why? Because in your mind you believe it couldn't be that? When the scripture clearly states it is that? Well, it can't, because I don't think it can be. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17, 9. He who trusteth in his own heart is a fool. Proverbs 28, 26. They trust it in their own heart. They're a fool. That's what they're doing. Because there's no biblical basis in fact. Augustine states that the scripture designates, quote, the scripture designates, that the daughters of men sprang from the race of Cain. But where in scripture does it say that? Sadly, their biblical assertion has left its mark in the modern day creating of a great deal of confusion regarding what the Bible literally teaches, which is what we went over in the first part. What does the Bible clearly, literally say? What was Calvin's interpretation? John Calvin. John Calvin, in the 17th century, carried on the tradition, started by Augustine, that the sons of God are, in fact, the daughters of Seth. Sons of God are, in fact, the sons of Seth. I'm sorry. Again, so now John Calvin picks up the ball and starts running with it. You know how many people follow John Calvin? Oh, I'm a Calvinist. Whatever. I'm not. I'm not. I'm anything but. And I, I've, I've sent people things on John Calvin, and they're like, oh, well, that doesn't re- that really never happened. He never really had anything to do with killing that guy and, 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 and you know, doing that and this and that. Oh, okay, right, yeah. 
And here, here's another total example of him following a Catholic and, and you know, blindly, you know, I'm, I'm going to follow John Calvin. No, never, never. Cursed be the man that trusteth in man and make a flesh his arm and his heart departeth from the Lord. Does that mean everything he ever said was untrue? No. But a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And there, I mean, again, I have never done it, but I could easily do a study on John Calvin. Easily exposing him. I do not advise you follow him or become a Calvinist. The more, the longer I'm saved, the more I'm convinced of that. All this crap, I'm sorry, about denominations and I follow this man and I'm of this guy and I follow, I just think that is all garbage. There's no biblical basis for it. To glean from other ministries and to glean from other writers is one thing. But I just see it doing way more damage than I see it doing. And then then what we have is we have our own little segregated camps. Well, I follow this guy. And I believe in this. And and then, then we can segregate ourselves off and say, you know what? Get all smug and say, you know what? I'm this. Or I'm a Calvinist. Or I'm I'm a whatever. And I'm better than you. I know the truth and you don't. Or I'm a Hebrew roots in here. Or I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. Or I'm a British Israeli and I'm superior to you. There's no Bible for that. The Bible says, in Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond or free. Bond or, or you know, barbarian or Scythian, these types of things. But we are all one in Christ. The body of Christ. Not the segregated body of Christ. Where... I'm better than you, so I, I occupy a better part of the body of Christ. Or you're not even a part of the body because you're not a Calvinist. Or you're not this or you're not that. I see no Bible for that. None. It's, it's pride. It is pride. Nobody's got it all figured out. I know this is going to get me a lot of hate mail on this one, but... I probably need to do a study on John Calvin now. The thing is, is my life's not a popularity contest. You know? My life's not a popularity contest. So, it's really irrelevant if people are mad at me over things of this nature. I believe what we're putting out today is 100% truth. And we're proving that. So why should I sit back and meander around a subject or, or, or not address a subject that is deceiving people. And the more I look at these guys like this, Calvin and Augustine and, and these guys that people adamantly and dogmatically follow to this day, the more I realize how far in air they must be strained. Do I love them enough to tell them the truth? Am I therefore become their enemy because I tell them the truth? Yes, most of the time, when you tell somebody the truth, you will become their enemy. Particularly, the more they cherish that heresy. Oh well. Jesus Christ said, Think not that I come to bring peace on this earth, but a sword. And a man's foes will be they of, of his own household. Mother against daughter, father against son. Anyway, let's go further. Oh, let's see here. 
Okay, John Calvin in the 17th century carried on the tradition started by Augustine that the sons of God are in fact the sons of Seth. He stated in his commentary, quote, this is a quote from John Calvin, this is all referenced in my article, the principle is to be kept in memory that the world was then as if divided into two parts. Because the family of Seth cherished the pure and lawful worship of God, from which the rest had fallen. What? Where do we get that? And if that were the case, well, here, let me just read my comment, because I've got my comment written in here. My comment to that last statement by John Calvin is, now, Calvin must have also rented a time machine and traveled back to observe what Augustine so dogmatically asserted at the time, as surely he would not, not have just taken Augustine, the Catholic's word for it, meaning the, 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 the um, godly line of Seth and the wicked daughter, daughters of Cain. Also, regarding the last statement, if this line of Seth were so pure and godly, why didn't God spare them in the flood like he did Noah and his family? Kind of seems unfair. What does the Bible say in Genesis 6? It said that Noah was, was perfect in his generations, meaning he had not, his seed had not been corrupted. Like today is what's happening. Remember how I emphasized all the stuff about how they're trying to corrupt our DNA through vaccines, through these breeding programs on, on the ships and stuff like that. Uh, people that get abducted and turn up. Wasn't that what they were doing in Noah's day? Weren't they trying to corrupt the seed of mankind through all these things about um, transhumanism and GMO crops and they're corrupting the DNA of the animals and the fish and the birds, which also Enoch talks about they were doing the same thing. They defiled the fish and the birds and the animals. Everything in Noah's day had been corrupted. We're on the same path today. Everything. The crops, the animals, the, the fish, the people. Satan's trying to do the same exact thing he did in Noah's day. Corrupt the DNA. Corrupt the seed of mankind. If the, this godly line of Seth was so wonderful, and I think he gives the argument that, that because they went into the daughters of Cain that they forfeited this right. You're telling me everyone in the godly line of Seth had sex with these wicked daughters of Cain and everyone in the godly line of Seth was, was defiled. I don't believe that. Why, that, that. That wouldn't even make any sense. There would have been some that weren't. Why wouldn't have God spared them in the flood? Well, because it never happened. There was no such thing as a godly line of Seth, and there no, was no such thing as a, as a wicked line of Cain women, daughters. It's all a fanciful creation in Augustine's head, in this Julius Africanus, and now, um, or St. Thomas Aquinas, and then you go into, into John Calvin. And then it gets, just gets perpetuated down the line to where it's the main thing taught in seminaries nowadays. And... For the early church fathers, and even a lot of the, the, the Jewish theologians in early times, they knew that these were fallen angels. But no, we're so much smarter and more holier today. I'm just trying to point out the obvious. Calvin's denial of, of who the sons of God truly were creates a tremendous amount of confusion that has clouded the interpretation of the text for potentially millions of people over the centuries. Thank you, John Calvin. Thank you. More good fruit. 
Furthermore, nowhere do we see the daughters of men are from the so-called ungodly line of Cain. Nowhere. Nowhere. Oh, are you going to get extra-biblical on me? Really extra-biblical? Because I know there's a lot of other books out there that supposedly gets into this. That's why I don't ever use the book of Enoch as canon of scripture. I use it as a commentary. But if you're going to show me some book that supposedly reinterprets the clear meaning of the Bible, I'm going to say it's a lie. This whole serpent seed theory you can get into, um, that's a whole other subject. The only way that can be done is if you go way outside the Bible. But there's a lot of things that confirm what the Bible says, including archaeology. So, Calvin does not seek to prove his point with scripture, but his opinion and conjecture. Having asserted his position, Calvin then states, quote, that the ancient figment concerning the intercourse of angels with women, this is a figment of our imagination, okay, according to John Calvin, the ancient figment concerning the intercourse of angels with women is abundantly refuted by its own absurdity. So, he's calling the Bible absurd here. Refuted by its own absurdity. Why? Because it doesn't fit into your thought pattern or your paradigm? No, you are absurd, sir. John Calvin. You're trying to lead people into deception. You're trying to lead people away from what is clearly stated in the Bible if we compare Scripture with Scripture. And we have Old and New Testament witnesses, which I went over in part one, that clearly do that. But we're, we're supposed to think just it's refuted by its own absurdity. You know, whoso despises the word shall be destroyed. That's what the Bible says in Proverbs 13.13, 13, the number of rebellion, which is really the... Um, the essence of rebellion is despising the word of God, essentially. Proverbs 13, 13, Whoso despiseth the word shall be destroyed. I'm sorry, but as far as I'm concerned, he's despising the word of God. It's refuted by its own absurdity. And then he goes on to say, and it is surprising that learned men, oh, see, we, we, we need to be more mature. We need to be learned. We, we need to be more mature and and have it together, you know? Even though the Bible says in Romans 1, um, where it talks about professing themselves wise, they became fools. That's what I think about when I read that statement. Professing themselves wise. See, he's professing himself wise. Oh, this is an absurd, absurdity. But what is he showing himself to be? A fool. If the blind lead at the blind, they'll both fall into a ditch, as the Bible says. I mean, I really review, this really makes me angry, this study, because it's like you've got this, I don't know, I mean, I don't don't know what else to call them, but heretics. It's a lot. Clearly, twisting scriptures and acting as though they're the only ones that know the true interpretation What the Bible says that we're supposed to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. What is the faith based on? The word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Well, we're supposed to earnestly contend for the faith. 
The Bible says why? Because there were certain men that crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. They come in and they try to twist scripture. They try to reinterpret it. They try to turn the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ into lasciviousness. Now I'm not saying that John Calvin tried to do all those things, but he's trying to totally lead you astray here. And so is Augustine and so is St. Thomas Aquinas and anyone else that, you know, spews this stuff out. Twists the obvious interpretation of Scripture. Let me read this full quote again from Calvin's commentary of Genesis 6.1. That ancient figment concerning the intercourse of angels with women is abundantly refuted by its own absurdity, according to him. And it is surprising that learned men should formerly have been fascinated by raving so gross and so prodigious. So you could say, well, my critique of John Calvin is, I've I've went overboard, I've went too far, I've said more than I should have. What did he just say? I was provoked by his statement. He said it before I did. I'm defending the word of God. He's attacking it. I am righteous indignant about that. The Bible says, be ye angry and sin not. And I guarantee you, God is righteous indignant about that too. When somebody starts attacking the word of God, I can't do anything but get righteous indignant. I'm sorry. I'm not saying we should go out and, you know, whatever, physically go after them or whatever. But they need to be rebuked. Rebuke such an one sharply that they may be found sound in the faith. Obviously, you can't rebuke him. He's in the grave. But I can rebuke his teachings and point out them to be lies, at least the ones that are lies. And again, this isn't just a little trivial matter regarding the end times that we're moving into. This is something we need to have a firm grasp on. We have already seen how the sons of God is used in Scripture. Okay, in the Old Testament. Now, in the New, yes, it is in reference to New Testament Bible-believing Christians. But in the Old, before there were born-again Bible-believing Christians, the sons of God was only used in one context. We gave you all five verses, and hopefully we showed you that abundantly clear that they had to be angels. I don't know what more I could do to show it to you. So, you know, I, I, again, I just don't know what more I can do. Now, to support the presuppositions, he must explain away the giants, the Nephilim, that are introduced in Genesis 6-4 and are the result of the sons of God, or, as he would say, the sons of Seth. And he must also, uh, and also the daughters of men, who he would say is the daughters of Cain. So, um, okay, so here's, here's another quote by John Calvin. So he's got to explain away all the stuff about the giants now. Right? Calvin says, quote, Moses does not indeed say that they are of extraordinary stature. This is what Augustine said, remember? He said, oh, not all of them were giants. Oh, okay, again, that time machine you used to go back there, you know because you went back there and you witnessed it firsthand, even though the Word of God says they were giants. Who am I going to believe? What the Word of God clearly states? Or am I going to believe... Some guy who says he's smarter than the word of God, who questions the word of God, who twists the word of God. The choice is obvious. Moses, again, this is a quote from good old John Calvin. Moses does not indeed say that they were of extraordinary stature. Meaning Moses, the one that wrote 
Moses wrote the first five books, you know, the Bible. So he doesn't say that they were of extraordinary stature, but only that they were robust. Robust? Where does he say that? Why did he just, what do you mean? Like, Rubenesque? Pleasingly plump? I, I don't, what, what do you mean, robust? Did they, did they wear husky-sized clothes? Husky? No, he just said they were robust. No, no, it doesn't. It says they were giants. It also says that when they went to the promised land, they encountered giants. No, they were of a robust stature. No, it doesn't. You're a liar. Quit twisting scripture. And then he goes on to say, um, but only that they were robust. Elsewhere, I acknowledge the same word denotes vastness and stature. So the guy, Calvin is admitting, he says, elsewhere in scripture, I acknowledge the same word denotes vastness of stature. But it doesn't mean that here. Are you kidding me? This is like, Honestly, this has got to be one of the easiest things I've ever tried to refute in my life. Because their arguments are so first graderish. They're so asinine. They're, they're, they're so they're, they're so non-scriptural. They're so purely of their own opinion and device that it has made my job very easy to refute this. Okay, let me just start over. So, again, my comment on this is, uh, Moses does not indeed say they were of extraordinary stature, but only that they were robust. My comment, wow. I guess the word giants means something different to John Calvin than what the scriptures, or any dictionary for that matter, clearly indicates. No, it just means robust. Elsewhere, I acknowledge the same word denotes vastness of stature. So he's acknowledging that elsewhere in Scripture, it means what it says. But evidently not here in Genesis 6. It means something different. I acknowledge the same word denotes vastness of stature, which was formidable to those who explored the land of Canaan. Reference Joshua 13.33. But Moses does not distinguish those of whom he speaks in this place from other men. Yes, he does. He says they were giants. And then it even goes on to say that these were the men of old, the men of renown. That's a distinguishing. Okay. But he's saying that didn't happen. Even though I can read my Bible and obviously see it did happen. But Moses does not distinguish those of whom he speaks in this place from other men so much by the size of their bodies as by their robberies and their lust of dominion. Wow, another tremendous, tremendous leap of logic and reinterpretation of what the scripture obviously states. No, it's not that they were giants, men of old, men of renown. No, it wasn't that at all. That was in reference to their robberies and their lust of dominion. Oh, I'm so glad John Calvin was there to straighten me out regarding what the scriptures obviously state. Better be careful who you're following. Because you start, I literally believe these people start to follow these men or women that reinterpret scripture and they literally come under a spell. I've seen it happen over and over and over again. 
mean, this is just insane. These statements that are being made. But it's those, we're to accept them as just fact because they say so, even though it totally contradicts what Scripture clearly states. And then it ends by saying he downplays the fact that the fruit of the union between the sons of God and the daughters of men were giants. He simply asserts they were great in their evil. Or no, actually they were great in their robberies and lust of dominion. Anyway, that's all, that's all I've got on this particular subject. It went way longer than I thought it was going to go, but I think it's a subject that needs addressed. It's not a trivial matter. It's a matter that's very pertinent to the day and times we're living in. And um, when I really started looking at this, I really realized, wow, this is where this whole heresy of the sons of Seth, daughters of Cain, came from. And it makes total sense to me now why it's more palatable for, for most Christians throughout the centuries and today. Can you imagine Rick Warren going into his lukewarm money-driven 501c3 corporate, essentially, whorehouse and preaching us teaching on this? I'm not saying it makes me wonderful or makes me perfect or great, but can you imagine him doing this? They'd be running out of the door screaming! It's not palatable. That means there's going to be giants in our days or, or, or possibly some type of hybrid offspring? Yeah, sure does. Sure does. And you better have the faith to believe that you can battle it. And I don't mean like going out there with a 50 caliber and blowing brains out. I'm talking about with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, which is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Able to to, 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 the dividing of the soul and spirit and joint marrow and is is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You're going to have to rely on the word of God and your faith and the full armor of God that the Bible says to put on, and above all, taking up the shield of faith, which is the sword of the, um, the shield of faith, wherewith you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. You're going to have, to have to have the faith to believe that you can battle whatever is actually going to be unleashed on this planet. Whether you believe in pre-trib rapture or post-trib or mid-trib, you need to be prepared for the worst-case scenario. No matter what you believe. And that's, that's why I believe this subject is so important to have a grasp on. And why I have done so many teachings regarding this particular subject. Because it's not trivial. And, and I wanted to show you where was, the, where was the source. Where were the roots of where these heresies got started. The Bible says in Psalm 11 verse 3, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? This was the foundation of the heresy of the sons of Seth, daughters of Cain. If the foundations were corrupt from the beginning, do you think it's going to bear good fruit later? No. That's what we just hopefully proved today. So anyway, God bless you, and we'll go to part... Really, it's going to be part one of our current event and Bible study, current events and Bible studies, the next part, which will be, we're going to be looking at Fukushima and then going into the vaccinations and the potential for avian flu and uh, swine flu and whatever pandemics they say might befall us. So God bless you and we'll see you in the next part.